Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Happy New Year and welcome to the first episode of 2020. I am your host, Gabriella Hoffman, media strategist, outdoor writer, and consultant. I wear many hats, but those are ways that I am best identified, but I do host this podcast as well and have it as a project. In this episode of the podcast, we talk to Bo Beasley of the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival, and the festival is actually happening this upcoming weekend down in Doswell, Virginia, right near King's Dominion, if you are familiar and drive down 95 ever, and it's in its 20th year of operation, and he discussed what led him to start the festival, his background, what drew him to fly fishing, and so much more. If you hear a little bit of outside noise, it is because we interviewed in a local silver diner, which was a little noisy at the time, but kind of an authentic setting, and we had a lot of fun doing so. Learn about the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival at www.vaflyfishingfestival.com, which has all details to upcoming classes, exhibitors, and other things you can expect there. It's a great event. I'm going to be there. Bo certainly will be there. And and he encourages everyone to introduce themselves to him if they spot him and to not be strangers. So it's going to be a fun festival. I'll be there that Saturday. And I hope to see you there. Here is our conversation. Let us know what you think. Bo, we're really delighted to have you on District of Conservation. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Of course. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay. Uh, my name is Bo Beasley. I'm an outdoor writer. Uh, it's primarily how I communicate with people in the outdoor space. Uh, but that wasn't my... I, I've only been writing for about 20, 23 years. I really got involved through writing through fly fishing, And that came about as a result of an emergency medical call. I'm a retired firefighter and paramedic with Fairfax County, and I was working on Medic 32 one day and ran a trouble breathing call in Burke Lake. And the gentleman who I came to take care of was a fly angler named Bob Guess. And I didn't know it, but at the time he was one of the best-known popping bug makers in the country, and he kind of took me under his wing and taught me how to fly fish. And I I was just making small talk with him, so I was on the way to the hospital, and I said, you know, were you out here fishing? He said, no, I was just out walking around Burke Lake, but I do fish. I I fly fish. I said, well, I've always wanted to learn how to fly fish. And uh, he squinted his eyes up, and he got really serious, and he goes, son, I've got a question for you. And I go, okay. He says, do you golf? I said, no, sir, I, I, I don't golf. He said, good, son, because you can't afford to golf and fly fish. <laughs> <laughs> so he uh, he gave me his phone number, told me to call him back in about a week, and that's what I did. We both went back to Burke Lake, 
and that's where I learned. He taught me, bought me my first fly rod, gave me my first set of flies, and that's how I got involved in fly fishing. I've been doing it ever since. That's awesome. Berkeley so. was my first lake to fish in when I moved to Virginia. What did you catch when you were there? Uh, I was I was catching bluegill. We okay. were specifically going after bluegill, but there are also largemouth bass in there, and there's um, uh, also pike. I've heard. Yeah. So there's. Uh, yeah, there's some, uh, excuse me, not pike, musky. Musky, Not yes, pike, yes, yes, musky. Yeah. And it's actually the seedbed. The state of Virginia comes in there and harvests musky there to put in their hatcheries to hatch out the eggs and then release them. Yeah. So that's how I got involved in, in fly fishing. And I, I did it for the same reason I think a lot of other people do it. You know, I got into it as kind of therapy because at the time I was... A supervisor on a mobile intensive care unit, you see some pretty ugly stuff mm-hmm. uh, as a paramedic and a firefighter. And um, I just use it as kind of a sense of escape. And then I started writing about uh, one day I, I had an editor contact me and say, hey, I really like these popping bugs. Can you write something about them? Um, and I said, well, I guess. <laughs> so I, he said, just, just tell me how they're made and how to fish them. And I did, and I saw my... What every outdoor writer likes to see, I saw my byline for the first time, and I went, wow, this is this is cool. And then I just started writing more and more and more, and now I'm fortunate enough to have written for just about every major magazine and fly fishing in the country in one, one form or another. And um, I like it, and it allows me to write about stuff that I really like. Mm-hmm. So. Which, which publications, for example, have people... Uh, well, my latest, like I've got an access and use article that came in, not this latest issue, but the issue before in Strung I read that. magazine, good, yeah. uh, which is an access and use issue in Montana. Uh, but I also, uh, prior to that, I had an article in American Angler. Um, I've got uh, stuff coming out in Fly Fish America. I've written for Fly Tire. I've done some stuff for Fly Fishermen. So quite a few of the national fly fishing publications. So, And I've done some stuff uh, for Virginia Sportsman and Blue Ridge Outdoors. And uh, not a lot lately because um, I've been working on a book, and that's taken up a lot of my time. Um, so... That's that's kind of what I've been doing when I'm not, you know, fly fishing or when I'm not working with the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival. Yeah, so. talk more about that. And did you start it by yourself? Did you have other? Well, I, I uh, it started uh, in uh, in Waynesboro, Virginia, um, as a way to help educate the public about conservation issues and to introduce people to fly fishing. Mm-hmm. And it was there for about ten or twelve years, and then it got so large that it, that we need to move it to a place that's inside and out of the weather. Mm -hmm. So about six, seven years ago, it moved uh, to uh, Richmond to the uh, Meadow Event Park. Mm -hmm. So now it's held in Doswell, yeah, right off of 95. Mm -hmm. And it's held inside, and now we're kind of protected from the vagaries of the weather. Although last year we had a blizzard (laughs) the same weekend as the festival. It made it a bit (laughs) of a challenge, but... uh, but now it's it's held indoors, and um, while we don't have the same you know um, aesthetic option of fishing on a river, mm-hmm. in April there are a lot of people that had other commitments. Where in January people are a lot more eager to try to think about fly fishing, or uh, they they don't have as many honeydew lists to do in January. Right. So. Right. 
And some people actually option to go fishing somewhere else rather than come to the event. So by moving it to January, it's in a time frame where people are more inclined to get out and bring their wife or girlfriend or have a lady bring her boyfriend or whatever. And, and we bringing friends. Yeah, yeah, bring all kinds of yeah, all kinds of different people, all kinds of different ages. Um, so I just I I like. I, my introduction into that was I wanted to get people involved in fly fishing and uh, my first experience with fly fishing or learning about flying reels was not all that positive. I went into a fly shop and I had a spinning reel which is a traditional mm-hmm. reel and I asked them if they could help me mm-hmm. and what I didn't know was the shop's name did not indicate it was only fly fishing and when I went in there with a spinning reel it was, you know, did not go over well. Yeah, and they informed imagine. me in no uncertain terms that that's not the kind of shop they were. And, and I left there thinking, you know what? If that's what fly fishing is, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Um, and then through an odd set of circumstances, about 10 years later is when I met Bob Guest, the namesake of Mr. Bob's Lucky Day Lures, and he's the one who taught me how to fly fish. And I found out a whole different group of people, and they were all about sharing their knowledge. And uh, that's why I got involved with it. And um, it's a lot of fun. It's not nearly as expensive or as complicated as people think. Right. Uh, I mean, it's like any other sport. I tell people that a fly rod is just like a car. You can drive a Volkswagen, you can drive a Maserati. They're both going to get you there. It's all on how you want to go. So, you know, it's a lot of fun. And people can learn about fly fishing, all the different aspects, whether it's casting or fly tying, and learn about the equipment. But they can also learn to appreciate the outdoors a little bit, learn about some of the environmental challenges that we have. Uh, So we partner with groups like Trout Unlimited, who will be there. Matter of fact, uh, Chris... Chris Wood, the CEO of Trout Unlimited, will actually be at the festival this year. So people can come by and talk to Chris and learn more about some of the projects wherever they are in Virginia or even outside of Virginia. He can help tell them um, about the different groups. We also do a lot of work with kids. People will be able to come there and get their Boy Scout Fly Fishing Merit Badge at no cost. Jess Westbrook with the Mayfly Project will be there. Um, so they'll have a class specifically designed for help having parents take their kids out fly fishing. So there's, you know, a little bit of everything for all age groups. So. And then you guys, I think you told me in a prior conversation that the wine element was added recently. Yeah, Why well, the- it's been around about seven or eight years, and the idea is, you know, uh, wine and fly fishing go together really well. <laughs> uh, and we just wanted something that would allow us to be appealing to a broad cross-section of people. And we have people that just come for the wine taste, and we have people that just come for the fly fishing. But they, play a, they pay a fat, flat fee of $20, and then they go wherever they want to go. And we give them a wine glass, and tastings are included. If they're 21 or older, they can taste the wine. If they see something that they like, they can have it there or take a bottle home with them. Um, two years ago, we added uh, microbrewery beer. So now Steambell Brewery out of uh, uh, out of Midlothian, Virginia, is, uh, is a sponsor of ours. So there's handcrafted microbrewery beer there. Um, and this year, one of the things we're doing differently is we're having a class uh, called uh, Bourbon and Bass Bugs. I saw that was, um, that's going to be hosted or taught by uh, Congressman Riggleman's daughter. Yeah, Laura, yeah. Laura Riggleman, yeah. yeah. Their uh, whiskey is really good. Yeah, 
Rita from Silverback Distillery. Mm -hmm. uh, so she's going to be there. Matter of fact, that class on Saturday sold out already, That's but awesome. we have some spots left over for Sunday. They're collaborating with Green Top. And so the person pays the class registration fee, which is separate than their admission, mm -hmm. and they learn about five different kinds of whiskey from Laura, and they get to taste all five different kinds of whiskey. Then there are five bass bugs, and Gabe uh, Beverly, who's the fly fishing manager for Green Top, goes over all five of the bass bugs, and then you take the bass bugs home with oh, you. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so it's just it's something out of the ordinary, yeah. you know, that, that we're all about learning. And um, all the wineries that are there are all small independent wineries, and they tell you about how the grapes, how they're grown, how their wine is made, how to tell the difference between a Cabernet Sauvignon and a Vignet and all the different. And I, you know, knew very little about wine. I still have a lot to learn, but I, I just kind of like, you know, I like how that yeah. tastes, right? Yeah, so. and it was unique because it's not just the typical wineries you find, like, out in what is known as Virginia wine country. I loved especially sampling the wines from the Chesapeake Trail, which is more closer to the bay. Yeah, there's, you know, we have people from all over the place, whether it's uh, uh, Bold Rock, Rock Sidery, and we have... Uh, um, Oak Orchard will be there uh, from Delaplane, and uh, so we've got a, a meadery that'll be there this year, and uh, uh, one of the local wineries that we have, uh, Castle Glen Winery, is there, who's actually in Doswell. And then Mattapanai yeah. uh, Winery will be there. So it's it's a good cross-section. One of the things that I'm excited about is, uh, for the first time, we have two out-of-state wineries. Oh, that's We have great. High Hook Winery from Oregon. That's very which far. Will be there. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. But again, they, they have a strong affinity for TU. The owner's a fly angler. He loved the concept. I ran into him at a, at a different event, and he wanted to come. And also um, uh, Fruit and Berry out of West Virginia Fruit and Berry. So they're going to be there making wines, and they also make homemade jelly and jams. Oh, that's awesome. So you get to try their wine, and yeah. if you like it, they also make a grape jelly or whatever out of it or preserves that, that are non-alcoholic. Yeah. So you can have it in the morning with your toast and have it in the evening with your steak. You know, yeah. it all depends on all depends on what you want to do. Yeah, and I forget the name of the company, but they make their own homemade ketchup. Is it Tufts? Yeah, uh, uh, Chups. Chups, there we go. There. Yeah. yeah. They were they're, really good. I really yeah. liked sampling. Yeah, Matt Wallace was good. Yeah, they're great people. Lots of good food. Okay. You can't go wrong you, with you food. Can, yeah, yeah, you can try that. And we've got, the other thing is, we have different foods that are there, too. Like, one of the things, like a Calvert Seafood and Crab will be there this year. Um, Eastern Star Catering out of Richmond has all kinds of great Middle Eastern food that will be there. A Column 15, which is a specialty coffee company out of Williamsburg will be there. So we all, we like doing stuff, you know, uh, like Festini olive oil will be there. You know, things that are out of the ordinary that people don't just see every day. And we'll have different craftsmen and artisans there handcrafting wooden bowls. And so it'll be the little pigs. Ordinary. I remember there was one exhibitor that crafted the log yeah, pigs. Yeah. Those were really uh, cute. Yeah, log hogs. Yeah, log yeah, hogs. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah, my wife really liked those guys. <laughs> and my, my daughter has a log hog at home. That's kind of cute. Yeah, absolutely. So there's something for everyone. And remind our listeners, when is the date for this upcoming festival? So the, the festival, the, our 20th anniversary Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival is January 11th and 12th. 
in Doswell, Virginia. That's a Saturday and a Sunday, the second weekend in January. And uh, they can get more information about the festival, the speakers, and all that kind of stuff at our website, which is www.va, obviously the abbreviation for Virginia, vaflyfishingfestival.org. So they can come there and see all the different speakers. We have speakers that, that fly in from all over the country. I mean, we have local Virginians that will be there. Blaine Chocolate will be there, uh, who's well-known for his uh, flies. And uh, he's a national uh, pro staffer for Temple Fork Outfitters, so he'll be there. Um, so will Jason Randall. He'll be there from. He'll be flying him in from Chicago. Uh, Wanda, yeah, Wanda Taylor, who is a well-known casting pro, will be coming in from Tennessee. So we have people from all over the place that they can come in and meet different national authors. Tom Rosenbauer will be in from Orvis, uh, from Vermont. Oh, excellent. So nice. Mac, Mac Brown, who's an excellent, excellent casting instructor, uh, is coming from Bryson City, North Carolina. And my good friend Ed Jabarowski uh, from Pennsylvania, who's an expert casting, casting instructor. He does our advanced casting classes. And um, this year we'll be offering for the first time uh, fly tying classes by uh, Tim O'Neill, which is Norvice, uh, Vice Company is one of our sponsors, and Braden Miller out of Richmond will be there giving fly tying classes specifically for children, for, for teens, you know, so it's a little bit of everything. I mean, it's a, it's a real, it's a real cross section, yeah. so. And then, is, is this year the first year you guys are going to have the Women Making Waves meetup? Yeah, so we're, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked me about yeah. that. So, we, we try, we're trying to get as many people involved as possible. One of the fastest growing demographics for fly fishing is with women fly anglers, mm-hmm. uh, but one of the biggest problems is they want to meet other women fly anglers, and there may right. not be a whole lot in their town, right. so we're partnering with uh, with Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundations, taking fishing. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to have, once a day, we're going to have a, a Women Making Waves rally, which is uh, like in one of the classrooms, an electric classrooms, mm-hmm. and, and I'm just going to bring in six or seven female instructors or personalities and uh, have them talk about what they do and just say hi to the public and afterwards we'll probably have I'll probably have some special snacks there Excellent. waiting for people afterwards. We might try. I mean, we may be forced to test some of the local wine <laughs> that's there if we're, if we're 21 or older. Right. So, you know. Which, what time will those be during the festival? Uh, I believe they are 2 to 3.30 each okay. day. Nice. Nice. So look at the schedule. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's about an I want to say it. Actually, it's, I believe it's I an hour. I didn't see it on the schedule, but maybe it's now on the yeah. schedule. Yeah. yeah, if you go to the website, it should be posted. Okay. Good. So, yeah. Yeah. So the awesome. web, the speaker schedule is also on that website that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, women are a big uh, fly fishing demographic, and I know that from Orbis's 50, 50 on the Water campaign. That's something everyone talks about. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if the, the Orbis uh, representative would have more comments about that to say. But yeah, no, I had a similar hesitation to fly fishing just because I found it to be elitist. Maybe I encountered the wrong person. And in the last few years, I've actually grown to really like it. This year, I had really good successes with it. And uh, I've caught my personal best trout on the fly. And so it just matters, I think, who introduces you to it. And not everyone is the same type of right. curmudgeon fly right. angler right. or elitist right. fly angler. Right. Well, um, but it, it does have that perception. And, and, I, and I tell people, you know, if I say, I told you to close your eyes. Okay, what? If I say, what does a fly angler look like? What most people would tell me is they'd see a, a college 
English professor smoking a pipe and wearing a tweed mm-hmm. jacket, using mm-hmm. a, a, a bamboo creel to catch trout. But, you know, I can introduce you to Braden Miller, who's 14 years old and oh my gosh. catching muskie, you know, three feet long with Blaine Chocolate wow. on the New River. So it, it's a wide demographic, and, and there's all kinds of different people that fly fishing. Speaking of instructors that are coming in from out of town, uh, and particularly female instructors, Debbie Hansen's yeah, coming up from Florida. Yeah, she's uh, she's on the pro staff with Raleigh Rod Crafters, mm-hmm. and they'll be there. Matt Riley will be there. Mm-hmm. He's one of our strong regional speakers, talking about fly fishing on the South Holston in the Virginia section, mm-hmm. and uh, just you know a lot of good people. That our whole shtick is, you want to learn about fly fishing? We got something for everybody, from the guy or gal who doesn't know anything to the guy or gal who literally wants to go fly fishing in Mongolia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can talk to Eleven Angling, you can talk to you know Colby Tro at, at Mossy Creek uh, Fly Fishing. That they take people fly fishing all over the world. So it's it's a very eclectic group. But I tell people. You can fly fish practically anywhere. Um, Along with the, you know, I I, I run the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival, and this year in March, we're doing the fourth annual Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. So there, the concept is fly fishing and microbrewery beer because the demographics in Texas are a little different. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge hit down there. And it was interesting when I was looking for a location you know, every single um, every single tourism person told me the same thing. They go, you know, there are no trout rivers in our city, you know. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, and they didn't even know that fly fishing was such a big deal in Texas. But, mm-hmm. you know, the largest fly fishing federation council in the country is in Texas. They do a lot of warm water fly fishing with bass and carp and, you know, all kinds of different saltwater species. So saltwater uh, fly fishing is also an option most people don't know. Like Mm -hmm. if you see one of our postings about this year's festival, you'll see a a great picture taken by Carrie Furman out of... uh, 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 Buford, South Carolina's Jessica Callahan, uh, a friend of mine, holding a big redfish that we caught. She caught awesome. on a fly rod, and people don't know. I even had somebody comment the other day. I didn't know you could catch redfish on a fly. Mm-hmm. Sure, and then they're shocked to find out you can do it in Virginia. Right, you can go mm-hmm. down to to Virginia Beach mm-hmm. and go out with guides down there and and catch, you know redfish in Virginia on the fly. And we have people from, you know, from Maryland that also fly fish in the Chesapeake Bay. Mm -hmm. So people, you know, are surprised. Uh, One of our specialty classes this year is actually about catching giant red drum. Gary Dubiel of Spec Fever Guide Service will be given a class specifically on catching very large, and I mean very large, I mean 35 (laughs) 35 to 50 pound redfish, uh, you know. In, uh, in North Carolina, in the Oriental uh, area of North Carolina, in the in the Noose River, so it's uh, it's if you want to fly fish for it, you can pretty much catch just about anything. Right, just about anything. Very true. Where have you? Uh, I'm trying to think. 
What has been your favorite place to fish in Virginia in terms of fly fishing? Do you specifically uh, you like to target trout or yeah, target you know, anything? That's, or? that's a hard... Because you wrote a book about it, about yeah. fly fishing. Well, I, I did. I, it's interesting. I, I wanted... I wanted to go trout fishing, and I wanted to fish Mossy Creek, mm-hmm. which is probably the most famous trout fishery in the state of Virginia. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to go to Mossy Creek, so I had a guidebook. I could see the river or the creek, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find an access point. Mm. And I'm driving up and down for over an hour looking for a place to park. Mm. And I had the guidebook with me and could not, and I'm like, that's when I went, this is crazy. I I can do better than this. Mm. So that was kind of the genesis for me writing my first book was mm-hmm. Fly Fishing Virginia. And I spent, I tell people, I spent 10% of my time writing the book and 90% of my time working on the maps. Mm. Because most people, when they when they get excited and they learn how to cast, they want to go catch a fish. They want to know where. Mm-hmm. So you can hand them this book, and there are you know, 34 places in Virginia, all color maps, mm-hmm. tell you where to park, what flies to use, what's the closest fly shop, and people love that. So mm-hmm. that, that's how I did my first book. And then about four years later, I came out with uh, Fly Fishing in Mid-Atlantic, which was the same concept, except it did multiple states. Rather than doing just Virginia, it did Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and North Carolina. And that's 45 locations, warm water and salt water. So the idea is just that, you know, you can fly fish for just about anything. You just have to make up your mind what you want to do. Probably one of my favorite places to fly fish in Virginia uh, is the Rappahannock River in April. Mm. And the reason I like the Rappahannock is because uh, I like shad fishing. Mm-hmm. And you can most people don't know you can fly fish for shad, mm-hmm. uh, but you can. And they're, they come up the Rappahannock River by the thousands. Really? Because they migrate out of the ocean. They're anadromous fish, which means they live in the ocean, but mm-hmm. they come to fresh water to reproduce. Mm-hmm. So they're born in the Rappahannock. They go back to the Chesapeake Bay, mm-hmm. and they can live up to five or six years. They usually don't live much past that, mm-hmm. uh, but they migrate back and forth. And unlike salmon, it is it is possible, although you highly unlikely, you could actually catch the same fish in the same space place of the river three years in a row, three or four years wow. in a row, because they migrate back and forth every year once Crazy. they get old enough and reproduce, and um, there's a huge migration that comes up into the Rappahannock, and there's also uh, the Potomac River, mm-hmm. and, I, and I tell people, they, they, they I, I, most people don't know this, but um, George Washington, within a year of people knew he was a farmer but what what most people don't know is George Washington made a lot of money as a commercial fisherman mm-hmm. and Mount Vernon they would stretch nets out in the mountain uh, into the Potomac and net shad mm-hmm. and within a year of the uh, Revolutionary War being over he was selling Great Britain barrels and barrels and barrels yep. of salted shad and salted stripers yeah mm-hmm. so yeah. most people okay, most people have no idea that you know, Shad was such a big deal. And then the James River, as you know, I'm kind of a history nut. When I was writing about the James River, um, the Shad migrations were so large in the colonial period, I read colonial records of where the farmers 
in the month of April would move their cattle away from the river, their cattle and horses away from the river, because the splashing was so loud, it would scare their animals, really? and they'd actually tear the fences down to get away from the river because they were so afraid of all the splashing. So... Now, obviously, the migrations for shad aren't nearly what they were then, mm -hmm. but that kind of gives you a sense of uh, uh, John <laughs> uh, John Smith said that when you're on the uh, James, you could scoop them up with a frying pan. Mm -hmm. So many stripers, you could walk across the James River oh, wow. on the back of the stripers. You didn't need a hook. You could just literally reach them with a frying pan and scoop them up. So crazy. So, yeah. So there's a big striper migration that comes, or a solid striper migration that comes in right behind the shad. Mm -hmm. uh, on all of these rivers, whether it's the Potomac or the uh, Matta River, the Pudnet River, mm -hmm. or the Nye River, I didn't know for years that the Mattapanai River was an amalgamation of all three rivers, the Matta, the Po, and the oh. Nye. They're all three separate <laughs> rivers, and when they're joined into one, it's the Mattapanai. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that's a, a migratory river. I mean, they, they all empty into the Chesapeake Bay, as does the James River. It's the only, I mean, the James from its headwaters is the only river I know that's con that one, it is the only river I know that's contained to a single state that's 600 miles long. Wow. So it goes back and forth. It's about 600 miles from its headwaters wow. uh, at Iron Bridge down to, uh, which is up in the western end of the state, mm -hmm. uh, until it goes below the fall line. Wow in Richmond and then goes out to the Chesapeake Bay. And the Rappahannock and the James, at the lowest levels, they're all controlled by, uh, it's a tidal river. Mm -hmm. So the same part of the river will be, you'll be standing in three feet of water, mm -hmm. and 12 hours later you'll be standing on a sandbar. So mm -hmm. it's uh, out of the ordinary to say the least, but I really like fishing the James. I like fishing the Shenandoah for smallmouth bass and the New River for smallmouth bass. Mm -hmm. um, just, it all depends on what people want to do. I mean, you can fish for really big smallies in the Shenandoah and the James and the New. If you want really big, you want to go fishing for musky, you fish in the New River and parts of the Upper James. If you want to fish for trout, if you like brook trout, you can fish uh, in the Shenandoah National Park, mm -hmm. the Rapidan River. It's actually on the cover of my book, Fly Fishing in Mid-Atlantic, is the, is the Rapidan River, which was, interestingly enough, the very first presidential retreat really? was Camp Rapidan. Yeah, ah. Camp Rapidan, President Hoover. Up until then, hmm. the country had a presidential yacht, and he didn't really like boats. Hmm. So he got rid of the yacht and took the same staff and they built Camp Rapidan, mm. very first presidential camp in the country. It's the forerunner of Camp David. Mm. Was I did uh, not know that. yeah, was the uh, was That's Camp awesome. Hoover. Yeah, that's pretty really cool. cool. I have yeah. to look into that now. Yeah. That's very interesting and yeah. my interest. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. No, but yeah. I like I gr I grew up in California and we had great saltwater and freshwater. But I feel like in Virginia, maybe it's more on the cusp of your fingertips, just because you can fish in the Potomac or Lake Cook or these little urban outposts, or go to the Chesapeake Bay or go to this river or that river. I feel like it's more plentiful, and maybe I've forced myself to go fishing more. But maybe there's more bodies of water that are accessible. Um, compared to California. I felt like so much of it was limited or they highly regulated recreational fishing that kind of deterred you from going fishing, but it seems like Virginia has a lot. And I tell people, come to Virginia. The fishing is phenomenal. Saltwater, freshwater, whatever your preference, you're going to love it. But it just seems like there's so much 
Well, there is, and, and a lot of people, you know, they just don't know. Right. Um, and and I'm very happy to say that uh, we have a very close relationship. The Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival has a very close relationship with the game department, so mm-hmm. much so Lee Walker, who's kind of uh, head of their public relations, uh, comes to the festival each year, and the game department has a big presence there, so anybody in the state can come mm-hmm. to the Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fisheries booth and say, mm-hmm. hey, I live in, I'm just picking out an area, yeah. I live in Taswell, what's close to me? And they'll mm-hmm. tell them, hey, here are the state parks. Here are the places you can fish. Here are the access points. Here's, and Virginia is unique in that there you can fish 365 days a year in yes. Virginia. There is no like, oh, it's trout season. It's the first day of trout season. No, you can fly fish mm-hmm. all year long, mm-hmm. but certain parts of the river might be closed mm-hmm. for harvesting. So you can mm-hmm. go there, but you can't keep fish. And most fly anglers uh, release fish, but mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong. I tell people all the time, there's nothing wrong with keeping some fish to eat yeah. as long as you got a fishing license yeah. and it's, it's you know, it's, right, mm-hmm. right. It's the right size and it meets the game department standards and mm-hmm. take them home and eat them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, on the other hand, if people want to release them, they can do that too. It all depends on it all depends on what they want to do mm-hmm. and what what they're you know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there are a lot of opportunities to fish in Virginia, yeah. whether it's. You know, like I said, you're fishing in a well-known trout stream or maybe some areas that aren't as well-known. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe you're not looking to catch fish. Maybe you want to do hiking. Mm-hmm. So you want to, maybe you want to go fish around White Top Laurel, right? And you want to fish near Mount Rogers, which is the largest, it's the tallest point in Virginia. Oh, wow. Um, or maybe you want to fish, if you're really lucky, you'll get to go fishing with Matt Riley yeah, and fish good. in South Holston. And you can wade in places down there. And it's it's quite picturesque. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't understand, you know, probably one of the most overlooked parts of the state is like Withville, uh, Smith uh, County area, just mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. Uh, in the western end of the state, a lot less pressure. Great place to take your wife and kids and go <laughs> vacation and stay for two or three days and maybe fish different pieces of water. Mm-hmm. And I tell people, you know, you don't have to go out with a guide, but the advantage of going out with a guide one day is you might be able to go back to the same body of water later the next day and maybe have some access with a drift boat that you wouldn't with while you're waiting, but mm-hmm. that guy will give you some areas of, hey, you might want to go fish here, plus they usually know what patterns are, yeah. you know, what patterns are really working depending on the time mm-hmm. of the year, mm-hmm. so that's another advantage to coming to some place like the Virginia Fly Fishing Festival, because you can meet 10 different guides in one day, yeah, and pick up all their brochures or whatever, and then follow up with them later on on an area that you might want to go fishing mm-hmm. with, you know? You want to go shad fishing on the Potomac? You might call Rob Snow White, yeah, he's you know? Great. And, and go out Funny. with him, you know? <laughs> uh, if you want to, um, you know, like I said, if you want to uh, fish in the Shenandoah National Park, all those places are open. You just get a map and go try it out. Uh, but there's, you know, like I said, there's something there for, for everybody. Um, and one of the things that has, has, is much larger now is we're going to have a really large fly tying section this year. And there are plenty of people that are interested in fly tying. Mm-hmm. And it's something you can do, 
you know, even when the weather's nasty, if you can't go out and fly fish. Now, I'm not a tire, but there are plenty of people that are. Yeah. And they'll be able to come there and learn how to tie flies. And uh, and it's a lot of fun. And, and um, it can be very therapeutic. So much so we have, you know, probably one of my favorite nonprofits in the whole world is Project Healing Waters. Yes, talk about your involvement with them, please. And uh, they, Project Healing Waters is, um, is just a one-of-a-kind organization. They're headquartered out of Maryland, mm-hmm. but they have uh, programs all over the country. I'm particularly uh, close to the Project Healing Waters program in, in Fort Belvoir in Virginia and in uh, Quantico mm-hmm. Marine Base in Quantico, Virginia. And this organization is dedicated to the physical and emotional well-being of active duty mm-hmm. service members and veterans. Uh, some of them have been injured as a result of their duty, right. and some of them are not injured at all. Mm-hmm. Maybe they volunteer, um, but they don't discriminate against anybody uh, uh, based on their service, whether they were in the Army or Navy or they were active duty or, uh, mm-hmm. 20 years ago. It doesn't matter. Right. If you're a veteran and you want to be involved with fly fishing and project clearing waters, will get you exposed to the sport, give you the kind of gear that you need, but more importantly, it helps them connect uh, with other veterans. I don't think, you know, we are very, very isolated as Americans. We have no idea what our military is facing today, whether they're all over the world. I've got a relative right now that's overseas, um, that's that's in the United States Army, and you know, I tell people all the time, we live in freedom, but freedom isn't free, right? Somebody's right. got to stand guard. Right. There are all kinds of people that want to do us harm all the time. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, we don't know about it because we True. stop it before it ever gets here. <laughs> but Project Healing Waters, um, you know, I, I'm just thinking, like, for example... She's literally the poster child of the fly fishing festival this year. Is my friend Jessica Callahan. She's a Navy veteran, got injured while she was training in the Navy. My friend Andrew Laffey from New Jersey, mm-hmm. also a Navy, uh, Navy veteran. Um, I think of uh, uh, Evan Forsyth, United States Army. Um, David Folkert, United States Army out of, out of Maryland. Um, a lot of good guys. Uh, Chris Thompson, who is uh, a Marine in North Carolina and uh, uh, left the Marine Corps as a result of uh, service-connected uh, injury and now heads up the Camp Lejeune Project Healing Waters program. So what happens is, it, it, it's interesting, these guys and gals come in and maybe they're maybe they get introduced to fly fishing as a way of therapy. They get introduced to Project Healing Waters and then it might take them years before they finish all of their therapy. I mean, I, I've talked to people that were in the hospital for more than a year, mm-hmm. and they're going through multiple surgeries because mm-hmm. maybe they got injured in a bomb blast, or they got shot, or they got, mm-hmm. you know, they got burned or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come into the program, and they get more connected with other veterans, right. and they. Maybe it's different for us as civilians, general yeah. civilians. It, it's, I don't want to say they're different people, but they're different people. 
They're, they have, they're very committed to the country. Mm-hmm. They're very committed to the mission, not themselves. Mm-hmm. So when they get injured and they're not part of that military culture anymore, it's very hard for them to reconnect, yep. right? Yep. And they say, well, thank you, Captain, but we you can't serve anymore. Thank you, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Major, we thank you for your service, ma'am, but... Right. You can't fly planes anymore, or whatever it is she was doing. Yeah. And, you know, you go from being in charge of a tank or flying a helicopter or leading Marines mm-hmm. to you can't do what you used to do anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, this allows them to be more connected to other service members right. that know what they're going through. And kind of one of the coolest things I've noticed is the older veterans, maybe they're Vietnam-era veterans, and they know what it's like to get injured or come back from war and not be like everybody else, and there was nothing for them. And they can come along and say, yeah, I know how you feel. I know what you're going through. Um, I, I think it's okay to share this. I, uh, uh, Bob... Um, Popovics out of New Jersey, probably the most famous saltwater guy in New Jersey, told me, and I did not know this, uh, told me at an event I was at, he said, Bo, I came back from serving in Vietnam. He was a Marine. And he said, one day I get this knock on the door at night, and it's another Marine, and he walks in with these fly-tying materials and says, here, we're going to learn how to tie flies. He said, I knew nothing about it. Wow. I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Huh. I just wanted to be left alone. And he said, but that guy stayed with me and taught me how to tie flies. And it was a real way for me to not think about how I was hurting, not think about maybe some of the memories that invaded my space at night. He said, you know, I'd have nightmares. Get up in the middle of the night and tie flies. Mm And this was before there was a Project Healing Water. So he's so excited now that there's stuff like that for veterans. And, uh, you know, practically every volunteer I have, the festival this year will probably have 30 or 40 volunteers. And all of those volunteers, I'd say 90% of those volunteers are Project Healing Waters veterans or members or police officers or firefighters. Oh, that's wonderful. They're all, um, yeah, <laughs> I joke with people, but it's about the safest place to be. Oh, I know. Right, because it's places lousy with cops and firemen and former state troopers yeah. and, you know, mm-hmm. people that work for different three-letter agencies, mm-hmm. you know, that are there. And um, it's just, it's a lot of fun, and, and it allows them to connect. And nobody knows what a veteran goes through better than another veteran, right? I can tell you, having been a firefighter and a paramedic, that, yeah, we had, if you went on a really bad call, and I don't want to gross any of your listeners out, but but if I went on a really bad call and I went to a shooting or I saw the death of a child Mm -hmm. or I saw a particularly gruesome car wreck, Mm Well, you can't see but so much of that without it starting to affect you. Right. Well, in the fire department, I'm, Fairfax County has a behavioral health unit, and they will talk to you, and they will assist you. And we have people that are that they will actually refer you to professional psychologists. Mm. But I don't want to talk to a psychologist. I want to talk to another fireman. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to another paramedic that said, yeah, I know what it's like. Tell me what happened. Sure. Okay, well, yeah. you know, this is what... And sometimes you just need somebody to tell you, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, did you ever think about this? Did you ever think about that? And um, I, I'm not, I, please, I'm not in any way denigrating professional counselors. My sister-in-law is a professional counselor. <laughs> I mean, I've had professional counselors help me. Um, I probably could have not lasted the 30 years that I lasted in the fire department had it not been for, for professional people. But it was the other firefighters and medics who know where you've been, mm-hmm. right, that can really help you get more connected and be able to you know, get back on the horse, mm-hmm. as it were. So Project, I, I can't say enough about Project Healing Waters. I mean, it's a great organization. Yeah. Um, the deputy festival director, Marty Laxberg, is the uh, retired Marine enlisted uh, non-commissioned officer. Uh, Bob Gartner, who's a program lead for Fort Belvoir, worked for the Bureau of Indian Affairs for many years, and these guys are really dedicated um, to their service members that are in their in their programs, and that's the book project I've been working on for the past several years. It has been a real labor of love. It's taken me much, much, much longer to write this wow. book than than I thought it was, but <laughs> if everything goes, I've got probably 80% of what I need, and I've already talked to my publisher. We're going to be Excellent. launching the book next year, oh, in 2020. I don't have a month. I don't have the exact month, but we'll be launching it in 2020, awesome. and uh, I'm pretty excited about it, and, and I've spent the past several years with these veterans, getting mm-hmm. to know them, so mm-hmm. I know them, yeah, and, yeah. and a lot of these men and women have agreed to share their story with me that has Incredible. never been shared with anybody before. So I feel pretty honored and pretty intimidated, to be honest with you. You know, this is not like writing yeah. a guidebook. I mean, right. who, who cares if, if your map's it's off their a little story. bit? Right. But I'm, I'm writing about men and women who have served in combat and... Um, or maybe who didn't serve in combat. Maybe maybe they got injured um, when they got home on a motorcycle accident. You know, not every person you see injured uh, that's in a Project Healing Waters program got injured in combat. Well, that didn't make them any less of a service member. It just mm-hmm. means their particular injury happened as a result of a wreck. Or maybe even it was, uh, you know, maybe they're suffering from some kind of medical condition, you know, some kind of disease or something that mm-hmm. is just normal, everyday um, uh, medical concern that anybody would have, but they happen to be in Project Healing Waters and they connect better with mm-hmm. with military people. So I am really looking forward. It's, it's been really intense, uh, but I'm really looking forward to the book coming out in 2020 and, and getting ready. Um, it's just, it's been such an honor and a privilege to, to know these men and women and see life through their eyes. Yeah. And, but it's been kind of, it's been very intimidating trying to convey that. Um, Feel, those feelings? Yeah, yeah. It's it's tough. Um, not tough, not nearly as hard for me as it has been for them. Right. Right, because they've had to live it. But, yeah. but trying to convey that in a way that people can understand um and it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like, because I, 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 I've been working on this for a little more than five years. I thought, oh, my gosh. oh you know, a year, <laughs> 18 months, I'll be done. It'll be easy. I had no idea what I was going into. I had no concept. 
zero concept of what I was getting into. Because this is, I joke, you know, this is a real book. This is not a guidebook. Go here. Here's a map. Use these flies. Talk to this guide. Catch, you know, catch a small map. Right. People are much more complicated than that, and you can't right. break down somebody's life in 700 words and three pictures. Mm-hmm. Right. People are complicated. So I look forward to that coming out and, and tell them their story, whether it's, <clears throat> you know, my friend Keith Gilbert, the, uh, member of the 82nd Airborne who now lives in Georgia, uh, or, uh, you know, Chris Matthews out in Oregon, who is a Marine, uh, who now does Semper Fly, right? He's out there taking veterans out fly fishing on the Umpqua River. And these guys and gals come in injured, and I'm not going to say that they leave whole, but they leave completely different. Mm -hmm. And they're the same people, but through fly fishing as a release for them, fly fishing and fly tying and building these relationships, Mm They can then go on to help other people. Like right. I, I think of, I think of George Draper um, uh, up in New England, uh, just a hardcore, um, a soldier, soldier, and uh, just you know, every branch of the service you can think of will have uh, mentioned in this book. Whether it's, it's Coast Guard people or, like I said, soldiers, mm-hmm. National Guardsmen. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we don't think about the National Guard. Uh, but the National Guard, trust me, if we have if we have a crisis, if we have some kind of natural disaster, or if we go to war, as uh, as one of my Coast Guard, I mean um, one of my National Guards people said to me, <laughs> Lally Laxberg said to me, yeah, one weekend, one weekend a month, and two two weeks a year, my ass. <laughs> It's a real, it's a real commitment, right? You're in the military. You're in the military. So anyhow, that hopefully, uh, I'll be wrapping that up uh, early to late spring, and then the book will launch sometime in the fall. So that's the that's that's the plan. So we'll see. Yeah, I think there have been studies commissioned. I don't know if it's revealed yet, but there was something I think that the VA, some study they were going to commission, that showed that. Uh, fly fishing or fishing in general, but I think they said fly fishing had the most, one of the most significant impacts of reducing PTSD and TBI, the the disorders and conditions that a lot of servicemen and women form during their time in combat. So it helps ameliorate the symptoms. It won't completely get away, like right, you said, right. but it helps to make them feel more present, not feel stressed. It provides a lot of tranquil. Uh, qualities and calming effects, just being out on the water, floating, waiting, and it's yeah, I, I've, I've grown to see that for sure. And I mean, in in general, the outdoors tends to to make a lot of them kind of relate a little better, be more present um, if they haven't been present or if they felt stressed or they've succumbed to the illnesses that they've been dealing with. So it's really good that you've been doing that. Um, I've heard about yeah, I heard about Project Healing Waters, um, and I've talked with a few of their employees too, some of their comms people. So. I love what they do, and it's so good that you're more uh, in tune with what they do and, and all that. Well, I mean, I I, I just kind of stand in awe of uh, of the commitment of the organization, and uh, some of these people. Um, I said to my wife, you know, they started. Some of them, I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but they, they may have started as a subject matter in my book 
and now they're close personal friends. <laughs> so it's a totally different, right? This is not a... Uh, here's, here's a news flash. Project Healing Waters isn't about fly fishing. It's about relationships. Fly fishing is a means to the end, but it's not the end. The relationships that these people form with each other last years. Some of these guys I've known for over a decade. So it's it's interesting how something so simple can have such a profound impact. But I, I know for myself, you know, uh, fly fishing for me was just... It's just, it's so much fun, and you can do it in a variety of places, and as I heard somebody say one time, and this applies to other fish too, but they're like, you know, trout typically don't live in ugly places. That's true. You know, but whether you're, whether you're fly fishing for trout um, at, at, at a managed fishery, uh, like... Yeah. Park? Yeah, or like or, Akatink? Uh, like Akatink, which is a which yeah. is a, 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 a delayed harvest. A delayed harvest area or, or Holmes Run, right? Uh, Holmes Run, right. Uh, that's a within Fairfax County, yeah. right off right off uh, Columbia Pike. You get down in that gully, you'd have no idea that, that you weren't somewhere in the mountains of mm-hmm. Virginia. You know, it's really pretty down there. Um, but uh, people uh, once they get outside and, and, and they put down their cell phones and they get away from the traffic and they can just be outside and enjoy themselves, mm-hmm. it, it just relaxes people. Yeah, it right? does. That's why I like fishing on this side of the country while managing my business because I would be stressed if I didn't retreat to go fishing. I haven't gone fishing much in the last few months, but I have to pick it up again now that it's prime fish, uh, trout fishing season. <laughs> but I, I always tell people in cities guys go out fishing like or what I try to do is I've taught three friends who've never picked up a fishing rod in their life and they grew up in more urban settings so they're not your conventional anglers they're very diverse in their backgrounds and their upbringings and they loved fishing with me I helped many of them catch fish and a few we didn't succeed but like we helped catch fish in some odd way. Like, I helped one friend help an uh, angler net a carp in mm-hmm. Maryland. Oh, yeah. so that was really fun. I posted, yeah. He was so excited. I had to post that video. So it was really cool. Even just to, like, help in that experience, even though we didn't have much success fishing. But it's just always so good to take your city friends out fishing just because you never know what it can inspire, what right. addiction well, can Right, right, right. Well, it's funny. We just, um, I, uh, about two weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago, was at uh, Harmon's Cabins in, uh, in Cabins, West Virginia. And uh, Harmon's um, is just, it's a fantastic place. And it's been family owned for a little over 50 years. Wow. Owned by the Harmon family. Um, and it's a great place. To, I've taken my wife and kids there before. You can literally walk down to the... Um, uh, Potomac River, North North Fork of the South Branch of the Potomac, and you're 30 feet away from the river. You just walk oh, out so and cool. fly fish there and fish for a couple. Ferry or further no, away it's from a totally different, oh. totally different part. Although Harper's Ferry is a great, I'm good. Um, uh, Harper's Ferry is a great historical area to go to. But they don't have trout there. I haven't heard of any. No, there's no, there's no trout, but you can fly fish for smallmouth bass in the Potomac River and the Shenandoah. My friend Brian Kelly owns Whitefly Outfitters in Harpers Ferry, 
and it is uh, that's a great fishery, and it's beautiful down yeah. there. Harper's Ferry is just a, a gorgeous. They had that poor accident recently. I hope yeah. that doesn't affect the fishery. You know, I was fortunate uh, when I read. I was fortunate to read that you know there weren't any hazardous materials on the train, and there weren't any injuries. That's pretty uh, pretty bizarre. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, you you know you can drive 90 minutes from DC and just yeah. be totally. You don't even have to drive 90 minutes, but no. if you go into some place like Harmon, you drive 90 minutes from D.C., and you're out in the middle of God's country, and yeah. it's no cell service, mm-hmm. and you're just soaking in the solitude, and there's some pretty nice <laughs> pretty nice fish yeah. stocked there, too. So um, it, it's, a, it's a great place mm-hmm. to go and... Um, Harmon, so actually the uh, Todd Harmon, the names, one of the namesakes of the company, will actually be at the festival this year too. So it's a little bit of everything. I mean, people can come in and learn what they want to learn, learn, take whatever classes they want, and just enjoy themselves. And so it's a very low pressure thing. It's something that's very, very kid friendly. So, but but fly fishing in and of itself has been uh, it's been. A real godsend to me. I have a lot, a lot of friends that I know through fly fishing. And, um, if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and any participating platform out there. You can also download past episodes, about 63 in total, for your listening pleasure if you want to catch up on any missed episodes from the holiday season or anything spanning back to our first episode to learn more about what this podcast hopes to accomplish. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so you'll never miss any guest announcements or topic discussions if you follow us there. So be sure to hit follow if you find us on social media. We will be having many more guests throughout the year, more policy topic discussions, and so much more. So thank you for following and listening and hope you have a great start to the new year.